Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome, everyone, to The Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. Most of you know I'm primarily an audio podcaster, and my audio podcasts are really high quality. I've got a fabulous editor. I love him, Alex Roses. And I also have been posting on YouTube, and I know some of my YouTube videos have not been quite the best. I've been trying to improve it, and I'm in a different room today, a new setup. So my hope is this is going to be a, an easier watching experience for those who follow me on YouTube. Just know I'm trying my best. I want to thank everyone who listens, follows, reviews, rates, and donates to the Spiritual Forum. This is a 100% donation-based organization, and I do rely on donations from uh, people who gain something from the work that I'm doing here. And this is work that puts out a message of hope and inspiration and awakening in the world. And that's kind of what we're about. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter at the spiritualform.org. And also don't forget, I've got a retreat coming up in October. You can learn more about that at the, the spiritualform.org slash retreat. Now, let me introduce my guest. Guy Finley is the founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation, a nonprofit center for spiritual discovery. And through this foundation, he's presented over 5,000 self-realization seminars to thousands of people throughout North America and Europe over the past 20 years. He is the acclaimed author of The Secret of Letting Go and more than 45 other books and audio programs that sold over 2 million copies in 30 languages worldwide. Born into a successful show business family, Guy's career traversed a number of areas, including composing award-winning music for many popular recording artists such as Diana Ross, The Jackson Five, Billy Preston, and The Four Seasons. He also scored several motion pictures and TV shows and wrote and recorded his own albums under the Motown and RCA labels. I'm going to cut this short and let Guy fill in the blanks of his story from his childhood in Hollywood to a composer, to a self-realization author and worldwide seminar leader. Uh, but before I, before I hand this off to Guy, I just want to say that today we're going to be focusing on his book that's called Fearless Living. It was published in 2008. And the, way, the reason we're focusing on this book is really basically because it called to me personally. I, I love the idea of spiritual, of um, fearless living, and that's kind of one of my sign-offs in my newsletter. I always sign off with uh, live fearlessly, trust radically, and love outrageously. So it really, really ra resonated with me, and so I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, Guy's, um, from his standpoint, about his book. So welcome, Guy. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Carol. <laughs> That's a lot. You've got quite a bio. Oh, and you know what? What's so sad is that you know I'm 74 years old, which means that when I was in my writing and recording heyday, most of the people weren't even born. Back. I know. <laughs> they go, well, who who were those people? And it doesn't matter. It's just uh, it's just part of the journey. Uh, I think I'm very lucky to have had in one lifetime at least seven other lifetimes. And those days of writing and recording and uh, spending my life uh, in the fast lane, as it were, that all of that was invaluable grist for the mill. And uh, suffice it to say, 
I've been ground up. <laughs> well, I have to say, as I was reading the the names of those artists, I thought, I wonder if people out there will know who these people are. But I, I, you know, what's interesting though is my husband and I every night we we kind of turn on uh, we have YouTube on our TV and we watch some of these old music videos and some of these. Mm older bands and it's it surprises me actually how many young people are are in the audience or are following these these bands or at least commenting on youtube about boy that guy's voice is amazing there isn't music like this today yeah so, yeah, yeah certainly music has changed quite a bit uh and i'm glad that uh, i'm glad that i had the time that i did in that world uh taking the lessons that it offered and i'm equally glad that it is not the love of music, but the music business and all of the requirements uh, connected to it, that that's behind me. And I have something, uh, I guess you could say, more important to do. But the real important thing and the heart of fearless living is allowing every moment that comes to you, whatever the time or place, to produce within you a new understanding so that you exit that moment, that relationship a wiser man or woman than the one that went into it. Well, that's wonderful. I, I really want to get into that. But what I'd like for you to do is, because that kind of sounds like the crux of your message. <laughs> yeah, you, I'm trying to avoid what you want me to do, but I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I mean, your story is interesting. Everyone's story uh, yeah. is interesting. You know, everyone has a really unique story. And, and I've had a few other people who started in Hollywood and have ties in Hollywood and have left Hollywood for one reason or another and kind of had the same, similar, I shouldn't say same, but a similar upbringing where their, their friends were, you know, yeah. Hollywood friends all right. all right. and all. Here it is. Here it is. Right. Okay. 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 Uh, I was born to uh, a man who was Time Magazine Man of the Decade. Uh, I was raised amongst the children of the heyday of uh, in entertainment, uh, highbrow business, you know, the Arnezes, the Martins, the Minnellis, the Sinatras. Again, names that most people don't know. But back then, my father, one of the things that he did was initiate late night television talk show programming before Johnny Carson, Jack Parr, Steve Allen. Again, names nobody knows anymore. But, you know, those were the days that uh, I was best friends with Desi Arnaz Jr. and Dino Martin Jr. I mean, you know, these my we were like the little rat pack uh, uh, of these adults. But I was thinking just before we went on here, because I'm always working, I talk three times a week. And what, what a what a remarkable uh, journey, given that I was not the one that set out the parameters of what that experience would be. And there was no way. But from an early age, I realized that there was something that was absolutely upside down and missing in my life. Now, how does a six-year-old, a seven-year-old then go on to have these, as I did, which we won't get into, but certain very deep and, I guess, mystical religious experiences by the time I'm 12 or 13 years old, and see this, why is there so much? And I didn't even know what it was. Why, why are these people so afraid? Why is everybody so angry? I mean, it, it was in, unmistakable growing up. Uh, fast forward to uh, my relationship with <clears throat> Tony Martin Jr. Uh, we wrote and performed together, signed with uh, Motown Records when I was 21 years old, first white soft rock artist, along with Rare Earth, who had the first white hit for Motown. Again, names nobody knows, but 
this is what you asked me. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I spent six or seven years quite successful uh, writing, composing, music, motion picture, television. And somewhere around the age of, I don't know when it was, 26, 27 years old, keeping in mind that all of those years leading up to that point, I had already been deeply engaged in a, in a, uh, a spiritual life without going into details unless you press me on them. Uh, at the age of 17, I came into a, a very wonderful relationship, good friends with a man who was one of Yogananda's oldest disciples at the time. Uh, I mean, it just went on and on. I just was graced with these relationships, and all of them were fomenting underneath the, the movement of my musical career. And then uh, around that age, I don't know, 26, 27 years old, I'm sitting at the piano. I have a home in Malibu, a tennis court, uh, and I'm, I'm banging my head on the piano. And I'm trying to think, what the heck happened to me? How did I go from someone who loves music to someone who now has to write music in order to keep what I have? And I'm thinking to myself, I, 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 I thought I'd be free when I became successful. And I find out that I'm not free because in order to remain successful, I have to be a servant to whatever the need is of the industry that's saying, God, you know, this, this score for this movie is due in three months. You, and I'm, and I, I literally broke down and started crying. And that was a big transition in my life because I realized I couldn't keep doing it. How can what's supposed to free me enslave me? It's impossible. Of course, you know, fast forward 50 years, I get it, uh, that the problem was never the, the, the industry. It was never what I was doing. It was my unconscious identification with a specific role uh, in life, an image that I had, without knowing it, you can't when you're asleep, uh, had become so caught up in that I thought it had to be perpetrated. Of course, the problem with perpetrating any image is that you live in a self created prison. And it's not until it becomes very evident to you that at least there's a chance to cut the lines, to, to break. And that's what I did. Around the age of 27, I just hung it all up. I started traveling. I went around the world a couple times, sat at the feet of a bunch of, and, and I do not want to be, uh, I want to be, what's the word I want? Respectful. But for me, the journey was the discovering that there was a soul on this planet who could do for me what I was going to have to find out for myself. Mm. So I, I brushed the feet of a lot of masters and spent time with them and all the rest of that. And the uh, only thing I had when I finally came home was the realization that none of that is going to change me. Something has to happen interiorly. And whatever that is begins with responsibility to who and what I am. And that's that. there's your a nutshell, which is a very appropriate description of my early life. <laughs> it's quite a nutshell. I think that your early life completely, 100% is an uh, example of the hero's journey, is an example of the spiritual journey. And it, it's the journey that everyone's on at some point, you know, are they, yeah, are they stuck in the muck? Or are they, are, are, I, am I in, in prison, but don't know it? Cause I think that's where it starts. We're in prison, but we don't know it. We can't see the bars that we put around us. Right. And then, and then you see the bars and you're like, holy cow, what do I do with this? And you either yeah. continue to build the structure and, you know, like if you had stayed doing the music, you would have, or, 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 or it's not the music, stayed in the structure, 
it's it's about continuing to kind of hold up all of the <laughs> hold up the structure that you've built and continue to build it. And yeah. and that's um and it's and and I think you're really good at explaining this in your book because this is a, this is because we have this propensity to identify with the outer world. Like the outer world has something for us. Like that's it's out there. And then once I get it, we think we're free, but we're not. We're just in another another cage. Yes. Without any question, the root of fear is the mistaken belief that something that I see and hear and feel with my eyes, uh, hands, and uh, whatever it is, whatever the others, you know, that that's where I'm going to find what will make me whole. Because the moment that you find yourself believing that freedom is a relationship that you're going to find outside of yourself, you have relegated yourself unmistakably to the reincarnation of a consciousness that's asleep to itself. And as we just said, making a captive of itself with everything it does to free itself. It's a vicious circle. But by the grace of God, there is an awareness, the light dwelleth in the darkness and the darkness comprehends it not, that there is something within us that is capable at some point and to whatever degree it's true to recognize where we are complicit with the continuation of the very fear that we're trying to escape. So it isn't until these opposites are finally seen through an overriding awareness of that divided consciousness that a person actually begins to realize the task now is not to try and change my experience in the world, but to change my relationship with what's creating that experience. Then a person has something that they can begin to work with. And and that's that, as, as the saying goes. Yeah, I mean, fear is an interesting thing. I think that I think we're all running around afraid. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I think I think we each are, and I know that I really need to speak for myself. But I know that during the the COVID years, I think we saw fear on steroids. We really saw how afraid everyone was mm-hmm. about, yeah, about their life, their body, their their friends, their family, reality. And and then we saw this kind of hysteria in a way about how people behaved. And it all, um, I, I think, I think the root of fear is separation. Would you agree with that? I, I would say, at one level, absolutely. But just to put a point on it, the root of fear, we could say, is the idea of death. But in the end, since we don't know anything about death, the root of that fear is the idea that somehow or other. I'm coming to an end. And and then that means that everything I'm identified with, any moment that comes along and in the slowest way challenges what I'm identified with, I fear like the death of myself because the self that lives through that relationship doesn't exist without the conditions it's identified with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anything that threatens what I call, in quotes, my life, which isn't my life at all, anything that threatens that, I have to then step up and try to change, control, or otherwise avoid so that I can avoid coming to the end of myself. So in the end, which we're going to get to, but just to always put a point on it, fearless, a human being can't be fearless until they're actually in a relationship consciously with something that lives within them that is not separate from the life outside of them, so that they are part of what is forever being completed. So there's no looking to complete myself. 
There's just a beautiful, gradual dawning of a revelation that if I'm properly attentive to the moment, I'm always being brought into a reconciliation between heaven and earth. I'm always part of a process in which there's no separate self, and yet the individuality of it cannot be mistaken. So that would be how I would deal with this idea of what's the root of this fear. I don't want to, I don't want this to end. So as long as I have something that I think has begun, I'm, I'm a goner and nothing in the truest sense. And this is, this is Eastern and Western. You can find scripture wherever you want, East and West. This is what all the masters have, have been trying to teach for thousands of years. Who you are has no beginning and no end. But to think that is useless. What I must do is discover for myself, not how do I find that beginning without an end, but where is it that I'm identified with all these things I think are ending? And when do I finally stop trying to, when do I finally stop trying to save my bacon? Literally. Uh-huh. Because that's where you, you move beyond. I've been giving a series of talks. What's beyond fear? Nobody knows what's beyond fear because the only way you can know what's beyond fear is to actually enter completely into that fearful moment. That's the only way you'll ever know. Yes. And if you enter it fully, you discover as you wait there, not trying to save yourself, no new desire replacing the old ones. You stay there. Lo and behold, you watch this thing. It was always changing, but you were holding the very thing that you feared in place by not wanting that condition. So mm. resistance, resistance is actually a form of reincarnation that nobody recognizes as being such. I'll zip my lip now. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> Say more about that, though. <laughs> the last thing you said is pretty provocative. Resistance is a form of reincarnation. I think what you're saying is that what you resist, um, uh, I think that you said this in your book, not wanting our negative states actually nourishes them. So exactly. if you're resisting the, the negative state, you're actually feeding it. And so yeah. it continually comes back. It, it, we'll look at this together and then you can prod me or you can expand for the people that are listening. Resistance seems like, like here, here's, here's me and here's this moment I don't want. And I go, oh my God, there's a moment I don't want. Let me get rid of it. And what happens is I begin to try to get rid of it. I start to push against it. I hope, it, but resistance is actually a form of negative attraction mm -hmm. so that without seeing it, I'm not separating myself by resisting a moment. I'm actually identified with the thing I say I don't want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I'm identified with the thing I don't want, that means that that consciousness is perpetuating its hold over my life so that I become increasingly identified with this resistance and this reaction believing that one day I'm actually going to push at home, do this, everybody, put your two hands together and try to push, try to push one hand or away the other. You can't. The more you push, the more pressure there is. The more pressure, the more you believe something's happening to you. And all that's happening to you is you're asleep and you don't know it, believing that somehow or other, if you can just separate yourself from this moment, you'll be free from it. You can't separate yourself from a moment you don't want Attention is connection. As goes our attention, so comes our experience. That's something everyone could write home, if, write mm -hmm. on the page if they want. 
My As goes my attention, so comes my experience. So when I'm attending to what I don't want, guess what I'm experiencing? <laughs> I'm more experiencing of, more of it. What I, more of what I don't want. And the more I don't want it, the more I don't want it. And when you say attending to, it's it's thinking about or it's, yes. it's yeah, yeah uh, whatever. It's running it My over in your mind. When, when you can't, our relationship with any given moment is inseparable from what we are attending to. Our, atten- our experience, any given moment cannot be separated from what this consciousness is attending to in that moment. Now, the problem is, I don't know what the heck my consciousness is attending to moment to moment. It's willy-nilly. It belongs to whatever grabs its attention. And unfortunately, because we're so identified with a host of, a a legion of things, everything gets my attention. Then I think I'm going to give my attention to this. I never gave my, no awake human being would ever give their attention to something that frightened them. They would give their attention to the fear itself, recognizing that that, another key idea, resistance is revelation. Resistance is revelation. We have no understanding of resistance, Carol. We think resistance is protection. Uh-huh. Well, I'm not protected by what I resist because, again, resistance can't learn. Show me any instance where a person has resisted a moment and they've learned something from it. So if I actually want... <laughs> Well, they've they've learned that it they've learned that it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, God willing, and that's four thousand lifetimes later, right? I mean, you know, but if that's what it takes, it's what it takes. But at some point, you you realize, you know what? How how many times am I going to sit here and and worry about what people think about me? Uh, how am I going to worry about money, my health? Worry about de- how many times am I going to let a fear come into my life, which I can't avoid the reaction. That's actually part of the beauty of, of grace. I can't avoid the reaction, but can I have another kind of relationship with my own reactions? And that's where we begin the real fearless life. Yeah, so you can't avoid the, the feeling of fear. Like it, you can't. No. Yeah, and, and, and that's really important to, really important oh, to it, get. <laughs> it's critical. People all the time, that's what people, spiritual people believe they can avoid a reaction. Right. You might as right. well you might as well be a, a, a zucchini with legs and arms as avoid a, a reaction. You you can't avoid reactions, but it you can true. change your relationship with your reactions through a new awareness of the consciousness involved. That's why we need our attention, by the way, that's so critical to our development. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like what you say because spiritual people do confuse that. Like, oh, it, man, like, like my, my goal is to not be reactive. <laughs> well, you might as well just, you know, not be human. <laughs> yeah, just it, 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 go into the cave with Lazarus and lay down there. There's no such thing. <laughs> the beauty of a real spiritual life is that every reaction holds within it the seed of a revelation. Every reaction holds in it the seed of a revelation. And what's the revelation if I'm present? I get to see the level of consciousness, the kingdom that I'm in, as it meets the moment. And when at last I see how futile it is to fight with moments or people or with anything, then I'm in a new crucible because now I realize that doesn't work. The grand path of negation, neti netai, not this, not that, so that I have no choice at a certain point if I'm present to myself other than to let what is happening show me what I don't want happening in me. Let what is happening show me something goes, nope, nope, 
No, 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 no. That's not how it's supposed to be. And that's where we're in trouble. There is no such thing as how life is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> we do attach ourselves to that. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying it's, it's, it's a dream connected to the nightmare that follows all of the rude awakenings when I suddenly recognize I can't change him. I can't change her. I can't change this world. How come? And then I believe somehow or other I can change myself. Man, if I could have changed myself, I would have done it a thousand years ago. Change is a relationship produced by a gradual revelation of what this consciousness holds within it, so that it is a cleaving, the wheat from the chaff, all that spiritual business. It is a gradual letting go of what I was clinging to without knowing it. Then I have a chance. I get an opportunity. Let's see. I'm clinging to this usual uh, account that I carry with a certain person. They always set me off. And then one day I realized, you know what? I don't even have to see this person to get set off by them. Just thinking about them sets me off, right? I got to wait a minute. How is that possible? I know people who have uh, relationships that they've been dead for 30 or 40 years, the people that they're still arguing with. And see, that makes sense to us because we keep trying to escape an essential conflict that a consciousness creates in imagining how things should be and how it should be. And when they don't match, there's conflict. We believe the world produces the conflict. The world reveals the conflicted consciousness in us. And the conflicted consciousness in us is the world we see. One must heal before the other can begin. And to heal something, it must first be revealed. That's the work. Okay, so let's let's kind of ground this in some example for people who are listening. So, As you uh, wish. yeah, I I just feel like like what would be an example that somebody would be struggling with? Like, they're like in your case, you were kind of on a on a on a squirrel's wheel. You were kind of on a hamster wheel, I guess, having to continually uphold the living that you created. Um, somebody else may be um, may have lost their job and have no no money. And now they're afraid they're going to be out in the street or what are they going to do? How are they going to pay their bills? And that might be something. Another, another example might be people are afraid of what's going on in the world. They're afraid of World War III or they're afraid of what's going on with, um, I don't know, you could always be afraid of the government. <laughs> so if, if we take an example that somebody's having in their life, like something just happened to me and it does seem like it's, it's, so the first thing I do is I I fight with what happened, right? The first thing is I do is I lost my job. I don't have any ways to pay my bills. So the first thing I, I'm fighting with is that I shouldn't have lost my job, that yeah. I, I, I should still be supporting myself. You, you, are, you are bringing to light something that, with God as my witness, I've been talking, teaching for well over 40 years now. And it's just impossible because our consciousness wants a one solution fits all mm -hmm. solution. So we have to understand that we are, we are creatures and we are creations. That on one hand, as a human being, we've been given in, incalculable gifts. I can go into this world and I can make from my life what I want to make from it. Mm -hmm. So I am a creator in this world. But before I am a creator in this world, I am a creation. And there is an order to things. And the task is that what I become as a creator aligns with 
what I am created to be and to do in this life. Nothing exists that isn't given something to serve. We live under the idea that we're not supposed to serve anything other than our own best interests. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a description of insanity and the eventual breakdown that everybody goes through when they finally realize, I've been trying to serve myself and look what I've done. I've served myself into this prison. And now I believe that there's no such thing as God. I've been betrayed, blah, blah, blah. And all that's sheer nonsense, but we don't see it about ourselves. So step one, relative to being in this world as a creator, write this down, people, if you want. We must learn to do what is in our power and refuse to do what is not. We must learn to do what is in our power and refuse to do what is not. What's in my power? I just got canned. Well, it's in my power to start doing everything I can to look for work. And by the way, let me look for a way to provide for myself and family as that comes first, not a way to keep this house and my possessions on the top tier of things where people believe I'm successful. That's insanity. So let me do what I must do responsibly in this world. Do what is in my power. You waste your energy resenting the government. You waste your energy resenting the the wealthy or what. All of that's wasted. If I don't waste that energy, I'll have what I need in order to be connected and creative in every moment where opportunities come by if I'm present to them. But if in a prison of my own making, because how full of resentment and fear I am, I don't see any opportunities. So do what's in your power, ah, but refuse to do what's not. It is not in my power to change Carol. It is not, it is not in my power, for that matter, to change anything about any human being on this planet. I've spent a thousand years wasting that moment. You and everyone else. <laughs> and, yeah. And I can't change. I can't change the world, not through my resistance to it. The world has changed as I realize the world I'm trying to change is because of what I am and what I've been. I am the world. I'm not the first teacher to say that. And when I understand that clearly, then the priorities are correct. Let my first action be to do what is in my power, and at the same time to not get caught up trying to do what's not. It's not in my power to fix anything other than attend to what is broken in myself. Fear, anger, all these negative states are the evidence of a breakdown in our possibilities as provided by the moment. That's what these negative states are. They're actually, and you said it, they're actually an instantaneous separation, not because the world spit me out, but because I'm spitting out the possibilities of discovering what I need to discover about myself in these moments. So it's really a shift. You know, the, the word repentance actually means to turn around. That's yes. the Aramaic, right? So it's, it's the real meaning of repentance isn't, oh, God, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a sinner. It is let me turn my attention around to where it's going to do some good, not just from, for the world. Because if I'm attentive to what I need to attend to, I'm not hating you. I'm not trying to fix other people. Instead, the physician is healing him or herself in that moment. So this is why I said it's so difficult. Our, our mind wants, well, here's the situation. Write me the law and I'll live up to it. That's nuts. <laughs> you know, I, I call it the, the McDonald's spiritual solution. That's a drive-through. You know, I want the Happy Meal. And there is no such thing. 
<laughs> Just give me the happy shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The happy shot. Yeah. There's no, I mean, we think there is, but, but it doesn't exist. And we, we, <laughs> oh, you know, I wish I had awakened so much, so many years earlier. Uh, it's it just, it's just, it's just such a long, drawn out, drag, knockdown fight till you realize the only thing you're fighting with is some insane expectation you've been conditioned to believe you're meant to live up to. Yes. You said when we started that everyone has their own journey. No one can be anything other than what they are given to be in that moment. This is key. Now, that doesn't mean that what you're given to be in the moment is someone who doesn't want the moment, because that's how we see it. This moment has come. I don't want this moment. This is what I'm given. No, that's not what you're given. What you're given in the moment is the opportunity to see that there's something in you that's still clinging tooth and nail to the idea of what you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to be seen, what the world expects of you and how you have to prove yourself. My, the, a great, beautiful man that I spent 15 years with working before he passed away. Cause when I got back from India, I, I realized there's not, this is not gonna, there's nobody. And it wasn't but two days later that out of a seemingly, and this is another story altogether, Carol, you talk about a, a, an unbelievably uh, faded experience. But he, this man, he said, life is not a race to win. It is a school for your higher education. And when we actually begin to recognize that there is no moment that we can, that we can't enter into one level of understanding and exit with another level of understanding, then we realize there's nothing to fear anymore. Real fearlessness is the understanding that you can't be given anything greater than your ability to understand. That's what real fearlessness is, is the ceaseless transformation of a consciousness that has come to that point, filled with the conditioned content that it is, including its possibilities, and then recognizing in that moment, ah, if I don't fight with this moment, I will see something about the fighter in me and I'll be liberated from myself because mm -hmm. that's what liberation is, is the discovery of where I am identified with my own conditioned thoughts and feelings and that I've been a prisoner of it. Then I go, wait a minute. I wonder what would happen if I went beyond this reaction. Now, to go beyond a reaction, beyond resistance, means I can't know what I'm going into. So beyond a reaction isn't a new reaction. Beyond resistance isn't some new identity. Well, I was a Jew, now I'm a Christian. I was a Hindu, now I'm a Buddhist. That spiritual teacher, he's a joke because he didn't liberate me. I'm going to go sit somebody else and be liberated. All that's just nonsense. So that beyond means I have come to the end of what I know as I am in that moment. But if I will wait there, seeing that I have come to the end of what I know to do, and I am silently seeing, present to myself, lo and behold, something by the light of God, by the grace of the divine, something dawns in that consciousness. And what dawns is a relationship with a reconciliation. There's nothing. I live, you said in the rural, you live in the rural, I live in the rural. I could turn this camera around and show you turkeys and and, and deer and my friends, you know, well, is there anything in nature that isn't always being completed so that to be completed, something must die and then something is born and something is reconciled again so that there's this beautiful movement of intelligence? That's what we are. 
were a bridge in really in the truest sense of the word, intended to be a, a kind of passageway by which not only are we participating and God help this planet of ours that is just so upside down that we're we're actually meant to help the world become better, mm-hmm. not help ourselves to what we call a better life and punish anyone and anything that doesn't see it that way. So everything's so screwed up now. But <laughs> but let us be the ones. Let it begin with me. Let let fearlessness begin with me. Fearlessness is not mustering myself and I'm going to go fix this guy. I'm going to change that. That's not fearlessness. Fearlessness is understanding that we are created to ceaselessly transcend the root of fear. And in transcending the root of fear as an individual, by the grace of heaven, I then become a little bit of that consciousness that not only changes as I'm participating in it, but now I'm not meeting you with fear. Now I'm not afraid to say what I need to say. Now I'm not looking for something to do to get away and distract myself. Instead, every one of these moments, including the worst of them, becomes the most precious gift on this earth. Okay, you packed a lot in that. So <laughs> let me see what I can pull out of it. Yeah, unpack it, yeah. <laughs> let me unpack it a little bit. Because so, a few things come to mind as you're speaking. Yeah. And one is the scripture, I die daily. There's, you know, yeah. I, I die daily. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the Easter story. Like we, we have our own Easter story where we, we crucify and we're in the, the tomb and then we resurrect and we do this. Yes. We have the opportunity to do this consistently, not like just uh, celebrate somebody else. Every, every moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every moment. Every yeah. moment. Every moment is an opportunity to. to enter into 100% fully and face and then actually release and, and die to and then, yes. and then rise up again to the next moment. Yeah. Exactly. And as you were talking about the turkeys and the deer, which I also have turkeys and deer, and the <laughs> geese are coming back, and we've got two baby geese a little early this year, but we we're expecting to get six more goose couples. Every year we have about 40 geese on our pond. Nice. But when I watch, when you watch the animals, they, they are very present. They are entering into every moment. Now, Absolutely. they don't have the same cognitive abilities that we have, but I think they're they're certainly more fearless. <laughs> they're certainly more alive and probably living as love and and love not like the way people think romantic love is, but just really expressing, I would say like expressing fully the divine potential that they are in yes. every moment. They're yes. an example for us. And um, so we can watch them and we can watch them how they move and have their being. And what we do instead is we sit back and we go, oh, those dumb animals, they, they can't do what we can do. Look what we can do. <laughs> we, the world would be better off if we were more like ducks and deer and geese. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, which which brings me to the next thing that comes to my mind when you're talking about how we're looking at our place in the on this earth mm-hmm. as like what what can we take, what can we have for ourselves, what can what can I build up for myself, and that we're we're kind of screwed up on that versus I believe the original intention of the divine, whatever that is. For whoever's listening, and we all have different interpretations of what that yes. is. For me, it's this yes. energy under all that is. Um, for others, it's kind of a personified being, and it doesn't really matter. But I do believe that we all have within us a sense that our original role is to take care of this absolutely beautiful world, this planet, and not like out of an obligation, like I have this thing to do, but it's like 
our our interconnectedness with life is to to be a support support. But maybe I'm putting a should on that. Maybe I'm putting uh, a role on myself. Well, and and we can look at that. And you and I are having such a bang up time. We're gonna we're blowing this time away. But look, the turkeys, the ducks, the deer. Again, to nature, I'm quite the naturalist. Their role is given to them by nature. They each have their individuality. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I've got the ta-ta, tink, ta-da. Uh, you know, e- they know their names. They can come. I mean, it's unbelievable. But they, but they are their will underneath everything, and their relationship to all they are involved with is a product of nature using the individual creatures to serve nature's broader purpose. We, as the crown of creation, not in any sense of superiority that we take as, you know, like I'm the crown, but that that we, unlike the animals, can have an awareness of the will. They have no awareness of the will that governs them. We can have an awareness of the will that governs us. This is discernible, can't be argued, so it's not woo-woo spiritual stuff. Our task is to realize there is a level of consciousness that we mostly live in now where we have no awareness of the will that operates in us because we live under the same consciousness whose will sets out to seek everything for itself, run from anything that threatens itself, so that we have, in one respect, the worst of one world and none of the other, literally. Yeah. The other hand, we can be aware of that consciousness. This is everything. And in the awareness of that consciousness, see where it is that a fearful will is acting, an angry will is acting, and then realize that I don't do the good I would, I do the evil I would not. Wow, what? I, if I had the choice here, would I hurt this person? I'd never say that cruel thing if I had the choice. This is where the rubber meets the road, is in the gradual recognition that my choices have been all remanded over to something choosing for me my life. And then one day a man or woman says, and this is where the struggle begins, I want my life back. I want it back. I want to be able to say yes or no when I want to say yes or no. I want to be able to choose what I eat. I want to be able to say what I want to say with the tone that I want to use to say it in. I don't want to run anymore. I want to learn. Then, and that only happens in proportion to discovering that none of that is mine yet to do. That's why people run away from true spiritual teachings, I might add, because Mm. it doesn't, there's nothing flattering. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. This this is why, you know, I have 40 years and I've got three students around the world. Nobody, nobody's interested in, in actually, in actually coming to grips with what is true about ourselves, but nothing true can happen until we do. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think the true spiritual path doesn't have a lot of followers. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Mr. Howard, Vernon Howard used to say, I remember he, he said this one time about fainted. He said, your, your humiliation is your salvation. I thought, what in the name of God does that mean? I'm not interested in humiliation. Now, most aren't. And then we counterpose that to blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those that mourn. And you have to wonder, how did I get so far askew from understanding that the root of our relationship with the divine has to begin with giving ourselves to something other than ourselves, other than what we imagine, and allow what is unimaginable 
to show us an unimaginable, fearless life. Because that's, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, all that business, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All that scripture comes to life as a person starts to awaken to where they've been asleep and believing that they had life when it really wasn't life at all. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I do think that we do tend to, or people tend to throw scripture out because it makes no sense. But it's at the level that they're able to uh, to discern it. You know, they're it's, it's all it. You're the book, not the not the the New Testament isn't the New Testament. The Old Testament, the scripture. If I'm not the book, I don't know anything. I can I can dictate any scripture into my computer and have it read it back to me. But it doesn't mean my computer's awake. It just or, means that it's yeah. Or you oh, could ahead. spew it yourself. I mean, people spew scripture and, and a lot. Do, yeah, <laughs> the, the 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 parrot. Imit, imitation is fear. Ah, oh, yes, it, it is. Imitation's fear. Now, Stevie Wonder, when you believe in things you don't understand, <laughs> superstition is the way. So that's the gradual recognition that I can say I'm sweet till the cows come home, but that doesn't make me a cupcake, does it? <laughs> it's really interesting you say that because one of the one of the practices within unity i don't know if you know very much about the unity church but a little bit yeah I've there's given this, a few talks i i figured you would have i, I yeah. figured that they would probably use your books and book studies and sermon series and things like that but sure. one of the things that is taught is affirmations and denials and and the idea is to the idea is to release to, to identify what you want to release and release it and then replace it with a new thought. But we do it with words, and it's like, did that do it? <laughs> Just because I say yeah. I release my fear and I accept love, you know, did that do it? No, those were just words, you know. Just it, words. It's just it's just it's it's like setting an intention of what the journey you want to take, but it's not in, even in, close to actually making it happen. I'm so delighted and excited to have you say that because in this world as it is today with this so-called spiritual world, a person can't even begin to suspect that affirming strength is actually resistance to what I think I don't have. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that so that the affirmation becomes actually a negation. I, 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 I'm not made stronger by saying I'm handsome, I'm strong, I'm beautiful. What I'm actually doing is giving a voice to my fear that I'm not those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I'm actually doing. Yeah. But if it becomes a, a, a realization that 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 what I have always called strength is me trying not to be afraid, and I see that at once, or me being afraid and then imagining strength, and I see, look, these things don't exist without each other. You know the old koan, if a tree falls in the woods, no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, of course it doesn't make a sound, because there's no sound without ears. Nor is this idea of strength without a fear trying to escape itself. But you see that at once, you're separated, you're free, and then you have a strength because there's no one there trying to be strong or fearing their own inadequacies, the inadequacy. Mm. Yeah, interesting. But at another level, you know, kind of like just reading the Bible, reading scripture, at one level, it's just kind of flat words. And another level, like you say, you it's your life. <laughs> you're you're giving life to to that story. And and I do think that the, that probably, you know, claiming your strength, well, I think you said it. At, at one level you can do it, another level you're fighting against it. So I, yeah. I could both well, can be true. And again, it's 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 a kind of uh, unfolding journey, a kind of an adventure where I realize that 
you know what? I, I, and people say, I need to be strong. I need to get out there and get a job. Well, that go do it. And then find out that now you have to go past that idea of what it means to be strong. Real strength to me is the ceaseless revelation of a relationship with something that is never apart from its own perfection. So that there's never a moment where I'm in this world looking out at something set against me. Rather, my attention sets me inside of a world that is always changing and being reconciled. And when I participate in that, there's no position outside of it to protect. Mm. But again, I, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater because I deal with this all the time. You, you want to go do something that you love? By God, don't waste another moment. Go do it. Go do it. But do it with the wish to learn. Do it with the wish to discover. On the other hand, if you're doing what you do so that you can be safe and free in a day to come, you're dead in the water. Because it's going to come no, back to you. <laughs> it, it doesn't. See, that's the beauty of it, Carol. It doesn't come back to us. It never left. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Right? Got it. It yeah. never left. You know, what is that pogo? I've seen the enemy and he's me. You know? <laughs> yes. I experience myself, but I call the experience I don't want you. That's true. <laughs> Try that. The experience I don't want is you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is true. Yeah, it <laughs> is I, true. And, and one day I have to stop dodging that. You know, yeah. I have to realize actually what I can't stand in this moment is the experience this consciousness is going through as it fights with what it doesn't want to see is true. Mm -hmm. And when I realize the futility of fighting with the moment, Show me a human being who can change a moment. Show me a, a wave that can change the ocean. There's no such thing. And our life is about discovering that. And as we do, we come into a, a more relaxed relationship, a less fearful relationship with the moment. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm looking at your book, and on pages 70 and 71, you have a list of, let's look at what happens when you want what you want. And it talks about being nervous and anxious and, and uh, you're scheming and you're in battle, unable to rest, easily angered, forever driven to want something else. Um, it kind of goes on for, but I think that's a very recognizable state for many people. Always trying to convince yeah. yourself that you got what you want. I like that. And then you turn it to, now carefully consider what happens when you want what life wants. What life wants, yeah. And there, you're never disappointed with what happens. You're always in the right place at the right time. I, I always have to. I always have to do this with my husband when he's upset in traffic. I'm like, we're at the right place at the right time. <laughs> Nothing if, else could be more perfect. <laughs> if if I can see that something, I'm sitting behind the driver's wheel, but something sitting behind me with its hands on my will, so that yes. the. the, the so that the revelation of that becomes useful. Then there's no such thing. Look, nobody wants to be in traffic. Nobody wants idiots cutting them off and all the rest of that. But the fact of the matter is that these are moments in which it is possible to become aware enough of myself to realize that problem doesn't exist without a demand I have that it's otherwise. Go shout at a mountain and tell it to become a valley. You, it doesn't work. Tell the sun it's too hot. This is what this mind is. 
but we don't I'm, get it. <laughs> we, I'm thinking that Jesus told us we can move mountains, but I think it was a figure of speech. <laughs> well, what he, you know what, in, in the Aramaic, when he said you can move mountains, what he was describing is that when you, it's connected to a Zen saying, first there's a mountain, then there's no mountain, then there is. Okay. What's the mountain? What's the mountain that I run into? My resistance to your a obstacle. There's yeah, no, right. A, yeah. The obstacle is my resistance. So first right. there's a mountain, then there is no mountain. Why? Because I get it. Then there is. Then I'm back in the world and I see all these things going on. So yes, you can tell mountains to move, but only when you have been moved inwardly enough to see that the mountain doesn't exist without your demand it not be a mountain. There you go. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, let me continue a little bit on, on what happens when you want what life wants. You're out of reach of anger and anxiety. You're awake and sensitive to your surroundings. Uh, you're free of ever feeling as though you've missed out. You're yeah. never thrown for a loss. You're in total command of events. You're mentally quiet and you're eternally grateful. Those are choices. Imagine, you know, imagine if you can, a life where there's no fear of missing out. Yeah. And the only way that we can find that kind of fearlessness is when we understand that we can't be given any more than we're being given in every moment. But to see that I'm being given something requires that I see I go into the moment demanding. None of us think that we walk around saying, I'm owed this or I'm owed that. But if we look at our behavior in every moment that doesn't line up with what we say it should be like, then we see, you know what, there is this demanding self in here. I have no idea it's there until it doesn't get its demands met. And then I'm all over him, her, this or that. And I believe that I control that. I'd get rid of the pain. The pain is in the demand. Yes. The gift is in seeing the demand. And the freedom is in the release from it, because that's the end of fear. Fear is this unspoken thing that we all walk around saying, please let the moment be like this. Please let it go like this. I please let me, let my, and, and then you start one day, you, you know what? What if every moment I am shown something about myself that I can't show myself, but that if I'll agree to see, I'll be free of that part of my own nature. And a free human being is always a much more pleasant human being, for sure. Definitely. And that's a really good kind of note to, I think, to to tie up our conversation and kind of come to a conclusion. I, I, I think this has been a fabulous hour. Um, so many nuggets in there, and I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. And I, I think I'm really glad that I, I know that the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. I want to give you the opportunity, Guy, to say whatever else you want to say that we might not have covered. And I know we could probably go on for hours, but... We could um, indeed. <laughs> Three quick things. First, yeah. I don't usually say this. You're, you're a delight to talk to. Oh, thank Very you. Very much so. Yeah, you are. Uh, thank second, you. The book you're referring to is called The Essential Laws of Fearless Living. The Essential Laws of Fearless Living. Um, you can find it pretty much everywhere. If you want to go to my website, guyfinley.org, you can spend five years there going through the free material. Uh, join me online three times a week for free. Nothing to join, all donation-oriented. And lastly, I'm going to be giving a series of talks in June. We have a, a over the solstice of every year in June. I give a series of free of talks at the foundation. We call it the Talks in the Pines. They are also carried online. So if you want to know about that, guyfinley.org forward slash events, or if you want to know about the free classes, guyfinley.org forward slash let go. And that's it. That's all I got to say. And of course, you, you look for me online if you, I'm, I, I, I'm, 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 unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. 
Yeah, you're pretty much everywhere. And we'll have all those links on the summary for this podcast. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. This is just yeah. delightful. Well, we have to do it again sometime, maybe. We will. I think we'll do yeah. this again. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll, we, we can keep talking. We got lots more yeah. to cover. Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> yeah. And I want to acknowledge all the listeners who are, who are with us today. I, I just bless your journey. And we're all on this hero's journey. We're all on this spiritual path. And it's, it's an interesting, interesting uh, path of awakening. Um, the last thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave with is this quote from, uh, from your book, the universe is created for the purpose of helping us to realize our true self. So thank you, universe. We'll, we'll end also with thanking the universe for helping us realize our true self. <laughs> it, it says, go ahead and do it, and then I'll be thankful to you. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. true. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Guy. Thank you, everyone. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.